We talking rom-com, we talking action, we talking drama and movie classics. Whatever you want, yo, we have it. Cause we talking movies on a podcast. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. Hey honey, I just wanna talk so about the movie like casually. Critic. You don't have to so bring I up very cinematography. Honestly, let's just talk about like how the characters were fun. Married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. Welcome to So I Married a Film Critic, a discussion between a professional film critic and lecturer and me, his wife of 20 years, who just likes to watch movies for fun. I'm your co-host, Julia. This is Bear, the film critic. Hello, everyone. And tonight we decided to do a movie that I don't know if y'all have heard of. I think they've heard it. Called The Box. Well, I mean, I I think it's kind of down the rabbit hole because there was a moment in time, especially, you know, the, the beginning of the 21st century when a movie called Donnie Darko came out and people went crazy for that film. Richard Kelly wrote and directed it. He kind of established himself as this this talent to watch immediately with this film that really burst through genres. It's one of these movies that the more times you see it, you have old, you know, you have really multiple interpretations as even what it even means. I was definitely part of the Donnie Darko cult. Absolutely, I did not see it in theaters. I don't know anybody who did see it the first time it came out. It was in theaters for like five seconds, but when it hit DVD, it was one of those movies that I watched over and over and over again. And then I started going to midnight screenings of it in Denver, and it hit me how funny the movie was, because people were laughing. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't even realize how funny this movie was, because I was so taken by how somber it was, you know, how serious it was. So I feel I, like that happens to you a lot. It does. And it definitely <laughs> happened. Because well, honestly, I was so moved by Donnie Darko, oddly enough, for a movie that, you know, it's, 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 it's a horror film. It's science fiction. It's a comedy. It's a satire. It's existential. But like... Um, I was really moved by the character's sacrifice. And for me, that's ultimately what the movie was about for me. And I kept going back and seeing more things. And I mean, it was really, it really was one of these things. It's like, this is, this is a young guy who made this film, but it had, it had more layers than I'd ever, you know, expected. And, you know, and then he did a follow-up movie that you and I saw together called Southland Tales. And we could talk about that one. Um, no, a little bit I, later. I don't want to talk about it. You don't about want to talk about it? I, I did want to talk not about like it. that movie. Well, you know, I just recently revisited it, and that's why I wanted to watch The Box, because I thought, I have not seen this since the theater. You and I did see The Box in the theater, and I had very mixed feelings about it, as I did with Southland Tales, although I think I like this one a little bit better. I still do. I think I think time has been kinder to this one, and uh, yeah, it's an interesting piece of science fiction. It's uh, underrated, I think, in some ways, but it's also like it's also an example of like how Richard Kelly can take these little ideas and just expand them within an inch of their life. <laughs> you know? But I like him, and I like the film. Okay. So let's talk about it. Well, let's get going. So we open up with, I don't know, a title card that talks about Langley Air Force Base and some classified information and the delivering of an unknown item. I think when you see the film more than once, I think this this, this actually helps. Um, it helps tie it together, establishes the cyclical nature of it. Um, it's kind of like the opening scroll from Unbreakable. It doesn't seem necessary until you've watched the movie a couple times. You go, okay, like this movie is telling us right from the beginning what it is, which is fairly helpful because cause it's such a far out idea. Yeah, yeah. So we're in Virginia in 1976. 
Cameron Diaz and her husband James Marsden, and they play Nora and Norma and Arthur. Yes. And they're basically sleeping in bed, and at 5.45, their doorbell rings, and there's a box left on the porch. So she brings it inside, and this is a family of three. So we have the mom and the dad and their son, and the box has a note on it from a Mr. Steward, and he says he's going to come by at 5 p.m. to tell them all about the box. And so they're just like, who is this? What is going on? So they just get ready for their day. So we find out that uh, Norma is a teacher and we go to her classroom where she's teaching SART. Yes. Yes. I once had a very pretentious professor pronounce it SARTE. We're going to talk about SARTE's no exit, but I think it actually is SART. Oh, I was like, did I say it wrong? You did not. I don't think you said, no, I don't think it, I think you said it correctly. I mean, it's just, you know, there's a few, there's a few of those like, okay, you can tell how how pompous your, oh, your okay. college prof is, depending on how they pronounce the name. Apparently, I am not. Victor Hugo. It is Victor Hugo. It's not Hugo. It's Hugo. <laughs> okay, so she's teaching them no exit. And this is a quote I wrote down that hell is other people. Boy, is that the truth? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think on earth, that is true. Of course. The, uh, the one time I got stuck in an elevator, I'm like, yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> wait, wait, you got stuck in an elevator with who? Uh, I was like, strangers, strangers. You're just like, like, come on, come on. Did somebody have like a lot of gas or was somebody... Wow, like... you made it much worse. No. Oh, well, no. what now, now, you're, now you're making it like that Shyamalan movie, Devil. <laughs> I love how... Oh, that movie was crazy. Oh, you like that one? That one was crazy. I think it's a, kind of a nice companion piece to this movie, actually. Okay. But uh, no, I mean, but you know, I mean, can you, how many times can you remember where your plane lands and it's like, sorry, we're waiting for, uh, you know, we're waiting for, you know, for the thing to open up and you're like sitting there on the tarmac in a plane and you're there and you're just waiting and you're like on the phone going like, I, I, I think we're going to be going to, uh, I think, I think we're going to deboard the plane any minute now, like an hour goes okay, by. Okay, but that's not the other people in the plane's fault. No, but that is the hell is other people thing. Oh, okay. Because you're just stuck in a crammed space with everybody? Okay, well, how's this? How about, just say, for example, just for the fun of it, what if, like, say, you teach high school English (laughs) and you have a class that's especially, oh, what's a good way to put it? Um, Terrible. Unstable. Okay. And you are told after a long, long, long day of administering those tests where you got to fill in the little bubbles that, okay... You need to keep them in your class for an extra hour until the end of the day. And you have to make that announcement to the students. And you have to keep them in this room. I know. But then you just give them their little pacifiers, their little iPhones, and they're fine. But that's hell for me. Because <laughs> I got to listen to their dumb YouTube videos. <laughs> oh, they don't even and I, and I gotta And I got to watch them like, like, we're trending. Like, I mean, that's, that's hell for me. <laughs> Okay. I have a lot of variations of this. Okay, all right. Can, what's yours? Oh. Haven't you ever been on a road trip with someone you couldn't stand? It's like, we're only going to be there. Oh, that one time I was, uh, it was a nice girl and she's a friend of mine, but like she picked me up in Kansas City and she drove me to Emporia, Kansas. And I thought like, oh, this is going to be amazing. You know, I really like this girl and I'm going to spend time with her family. And w- the very beginning of the trip, she's like, do you like ska? I'm like, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. 
So she puts in, I'm not going to say the name of the band. I don't even know if I remember. You should, because who cares about ska anymore? Well, let's see. Was it? <laughs> you probably can't remember. I don't even. But was I remember it, like. It was, was it this, like eight hours of ska? Yes. Oh my god. Because it was one of those, it was one of those tape decks where like the tape flips by itself. You're like, and suddenly it's like side B. No. So yeah. You couldn't even, you, you didn't even have the like two seconds it took to eject the tape to be like, hey, how about we put on Elton John? <laughs> anything (laughs) okay yeah i think for me anything that is claustrophobic and too warm just like a few degrees too warm where you're like kind of crowded and you have to listen to somebody's terrible jokes or just them ramble about i don't know say what a turnpike is on the road oh man you know, like this, this hits home. Yeah, like the definitions of things. By the way, listeners, she's not talking about me. I swear, I don't. I, I, I couldn't even tell you what a turnpike no, is. No, I'm not talking about you. Yeah, it's not but me. yeah, like, like people. That, In case you're like, she's talking about him. No, no, she's not. No, yeah, where where people just talk about meaningless things. Hmm. I'm like, I can I just open the car door now and just jump? Yes. All right. Hell is other people. Yes. I think we proved this thesis. It is. It, it absolutely <laughs> is. All right. Well. She has this weird student, this guy who is just like, why do you have a limp? Cause, and I didn't even notice that Norma had a limp right away. Well, um, this, I mean, it's Cameron Diaz, so of course he's going to notice the way she walks. Well, yeah, he's going to notice everything about her. Because, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's just dazzling. Okay, so she shows them her foot and she has no toes. Yeah. And... He's a really creepy student, and I'm like, why did she take off her sock for this guy in front of her whole class? So, this is what someone told me, and I don't know the extent of it um, exactly, but um, apparently this was Richard Kelly's parents. Oh, his mom had yeah. no toes on one of her feet? I think. And I know his father definitely was, he definitely worked for NASA, just like James Marsden character. Does. Okay. But apparently, yeah, apparently there's a lot of autobiographical stuff in this. Okay. Well, that makes sense, but still, for it the is, narrative. Well, I mean, it's a very specific thing, and it is... I'm talking about her t- showing the class, though. I The moment is awkward and strange, and I think that's why it works. At least I think it works, because... She's showing them the foot and, you know, you're expecting, you're expecting whatever, like this feel good moment or this sense of like, you know, like how dare you, whatever. And instead it's just like, she feels embarrassed for doing it. And he, you know, is treating it like, like, like gotcha, you know? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's it's awful. So no, it becomes like. Instead of finding empathy from her students, and you know, it's really just like it becomes like a moment of public hum- humiliation, which is what she's always encountered with this. Yeah, it's yeah. really creepy. And then as he leaves class, he just kind of like walks out of the room and like makes eye contact with her. I mean, you know, however you want to read this, like, I mean, he's just somebody who just you know hates the world, has a bone to pick with everybody, and he's just like you know you know, leading into his, his teacher, or maybe he just doesn't like Sartre, or, you know, he has a crush on his teacher and, you know, she's not, you know, she's not playing that with this kid. And this is the way he reacts. It's like, I'm going to embarrass her because she won't go out with me. That's so terrible. Because she's married to James Marsden. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, nobody can hold a candle to James Marsden. That's not true. 
You know who can? Who? Ryan Gosling. You know who else? <laughs> Brandon Routh. Do you know how many how many movie stars have stolen their leading ladies away from James Marsden? That's true. He's a dreamy dude. I served him I when I worked at a five star restaurant. The dude looked my way and smiled to me. I was like, oh. <laughs> So I get it. You almost left me for James Marsden. Oh, I did leave you for James Marsden. But then I'm like, where'd he go? Like, oh, he left. So so I got to be, I got to be, you know, the, I got to be James Marsden in the notebook in that scenario. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Arthur, played by James Marsden, he goes to NASA and we find out he's a scientist. There's like a little bit of a, I don't know, some kind of talk he goes to. We go back to Norma. She is told that the faculty tuition discount is being canceled. And I'm like, what? This is a terrible school. Terrible. Wherever she's working. The students are terrible. Yeah. The teachers are terrible. I yeah. mean, this is this is terrible. This is crap. Okay, so they're basically living paycheck to paycheck, which I hope that, you know, 1976, 2024, I mean, we're all still living paycheck to paycheck. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. And, nothing's, you know, nothing's changed. Everything's full circle. Even, like, some of these hairdos, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, 70s came back in oh, a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Mr. Stewart shows up at their house at 5 o'clock to talk about the button unit, as it's called, and half of his face is missing. Mr. Stewart is played by Frank Langella, um, who at this point has played Dracula and Skeletor, which is why I love him so much. Um, Frank Langella can play anything. And yeah, it's uh, it's pretty startling CGI. Um, part of his face is missing. He's got that Harvey Dent thing going on. Mm-hmm. And it's but the thing is, the movie doesn't speak about it. I thought, well, this is interesting because well, the, it speaks about it later, but not right in this moment when we meet him. Well, the why it is, but I mean, no, these she are... talks to him about it. Yeah, later. but I'm yeah. saying like you know the contrast is you know she's someone who's dealt with an ailment her whole life and now she's meeting someone with with an mm. ailment that's even more visible yes. literally than hers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you said the movie didn't talk about it. Well, they talk about why it's there. They they eventually speak about how it happened. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that talking about it? What am no, I missing? No, no, I'm talking about no, I'm just talking about the the idea of she feels empathy for him immediately because oh, like, yes. this guy, you know, mm-hmm. experiences all the time what I only get, mm-hmm. you know, when I have creepy students watching me walk. <laughs> okay, so he tells her, now it's only Norma. Arthur is not home yet. So he tells her that if she pushes the button, two things will happen. The first thing is that uh, someone you don't know will die. Yep. And the second thing is $1 million in cash tax-free will show up at your house. And she's like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so if I if I touch it three times, that's $3 million? <laughs> I know. So he gives her a $100 bill in cash. and he Just ca- for listening to him. Yeah, just yeah. for... And she's like, okay, is this even real? And so he says, you cannot tell anybody about this, only your husband. They have 24 hours to decide. And if they don't push the button... Then the box is given to someone else. Yeah. So they have until 5 p.m. the next evening to make a decision. This is Richard Matheson's premise. And Matheson is, of course, one of our great sci-fi writers. He's written so many stories that I love and, and uh, comes up with these really, you know, I mean, it's it's not only a Twilight Zone-esque story. It was the Twilight Zone. It, there was an episode of the 80s color version of the Twilight Zone uh, I believe it aired in 85 or 86 called Button Button. And it was basically like the 
uh, I don't know, like the ten minute version of this movie. Oh, I mean, it could it could be done as a play. In fact, I think it has been done as a play, where it's just this simple thing of guy, you know, and he's not missing his face, but he's dressed in black. He's got a black hat, looks very film noir. Shows up at the door, gives him the box, explains the situation, the button leaves. The couple talk about it, and eventually they decide to hit the button. And when the button is recollected, the guy at the door says, you know, like, it's basically, you know, it resets itself, and it's now going to be given to someone you don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this creepy thing, like, okay, what does he mean? But, like, there's, it's a loaded thing to say. What do you mean by that exactly? Does that mean that they're definitely going to be the ones who die next? Does it mean that someone you don't know? So it's like, okay, um, is it the question of how well do you know somebody? Um, it's eerie. It was really eerie, and I thought it worked really well. As that Twilight Zone episode, because again, it was it was a real quickie. I think it, I think there was like more than one episode in that episode because Button Button is such a short story idea, and here you take a really great simple premise and you fill it with lots and lots <laughs> of subplots and lots yes. of side characters. Yeah, yeah, because now we see Arthur is making Norma like a silicone foot. Yeah, at NASA, and this is where we find out that. <laughs> X-ray radiation fried her toes because she was getting like um, an X-ray and the nurse just like turned on the X-ray machine and left and just forgot about her. That is the craziest story. And again, like if this is an autobiographical detail, like on the one hand, like I don't want to be snarky about it because it's like I kind of love that it's here because I've never heard of this in a movie before. I've never heard of this happening to someone before. Yeah. But on the other hand, let's talk about this. Arthur works for NASA. They're working on colonizing the moon, and he's working on creating a foot for his wife. Yeah. I mean... His boss basically is like, you know you're doing this on NASA's dime, and he's kind of like, whatever. I mean, you know, and his co-workers seem to be so sympathetic. Like, oh, that's so nice. That's nice you're doing that. But I'm like, <laughs> are they just making fun of this guy in the break room? They're like, hey, look at Operation Footsie over there. <laughs> aren't making fun of him because they know that it's a serious thing we got like a moon launch and this dude is like creating a foot for his wife they probably think it's sweet the fact that that he's allowed to do it is crazy it, it it's it, I, i'm i'm amazed that the movie takes as long as it does to establish that arthur has been fired from nasa because of <laughs> course they're gonna fire this guy <laughs> well Okay, but think about it. So Norma is like, what, 35? So this happened when she was a child. So this was like in the 1950s. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, were x-ray machines like really powerful back then? And but would a nurse just like leave her? I think it's plausible. And I think you said it. The fact that they're beautiful people, because they're played by beautiful people, but they're also playing, it's kind of like that that little window between being blue collar and white collar they're they're doing well they have a house they have a child but like it's one of these things where a car accident a hospital visit is just going to wipe them out financially yeah. so th they've never had enough money for them to do something about this right and arthur is like okay well i'm you know I uh, I already got that shuttle launch going on, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna spend April making a foot. Yeah, but he was so he's rejected from the astronaut program because he failed the psych exam. Mm. So what does that mean? <laughs> They're like, what well, does this look like? You do a foot. Okay, what does this look like? <laughs> a foot. You don't see a butterfly. No, I see a foot. Okay, uh, we we can't do this anymore. <laughs> You're fired. Okay, so when Arthur finally comes home, Norma tells him about 
this visit from Mr. Stewart. And the first thing Arthur says is, um, well, did he say how they die? <laughs> but I, I like this. And by the way, um, I do remember the little window of, because, uh, you know, I mean, being a kid in the, the, you know, the 80s, I do remember a lot of people coming to your door a lot. Like, you know, not only just like, you know, Boy Scouts or what, you know, with the Girl Scouts I mean, with the cookies. This was the also the 90s. Like, yeah. Yeah, people would come to your door all yeah, the time. Yeah, but it was it was it was more common for like, you know, salesmen and oh, you know, yes. hucksters or like whatever it was. So I, I do think this is that era where it's like, okay, like, you know, a, a vacuum cleaner salesman or like Yeah, like my grandpa, he he did that. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just feel like we don't get enough of that anymore because people don't want to get, you know, mauled by Rottweilers. But like this was an era of like, you know, either it's your postman or yeah, somebody wants to demonstrate how this handy-dandy new washer works. Yeah, or now it's like vacuum cleaners. They want to like vacuum your carpet. Yeah, now we have infomercials, and I feel like that kind of cut into this. Yeah. But the fact that, I mean, he's kind of like bemused over the fact that, I mean, it's like, okay, like, okay, it's it's the 70s. Of course, some weirdo showed up at our doorstep and wanted to... That's true. Yeah. But he also is kind of making fun of it and she's i mean she's like you didn't see him like he is missing half his face yeah you know so she's obviously taking it very seriously Mm -hmm. um but then they go see the no no exit on stage at the school it's a little on the nose like mr kelly you already mentioned yeah (laughs) (laughs) like okay so they're reading the play and they're also going to see it on stage i mean Okay, we get it. <laughs> now let's have a flashback to start writing. No exit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit the only way this works, and I and I, I would justify it this way, and I think I think this is probably plausible too. I mean, how many times have I, you know, even like had students read a book or read a screenplay or whatever, and it's like, okay, now we're gonna go watch the film, or we're gonna watch the community theater production, or you know, the high school is doing the production of the play that we're reading. So maybe that's it. It's just maybe that's the well, okay. But of course, I mean, yeah, it's very on the nose. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now we're they're back at home, and and Arthur and Norma are kind of like discussing all the possibilities. He thinks the hundred dollar bill is counterfeit. Um, he examines the box and he opens it and he's like, look, there's nothing inside. Like, mm. how would they track it? How yeah. does he know if we press the button? What, what is this? There's no, there's nothing. Um, but they do talk about how $1 million would change their lives, yeah. which I feel like is a pretty normal Yeah. And I feel like that's still, was, I feel like that still applies. Yeah. yeah. You know, when, when the Powerball gets like really, really big and people who never buy tickets just go out and buy a ticket. I mean, yeah, I, and they win. It's like, you know, first thing they do is like they buy a yacht. It's like, dude, you're in debt. No. No. <laughs> they buy like a yacht. No, no. They don't win. That's what happens. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. But I do, but I do recall some instances where like, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm going to get a, I'm going to make my balcony gold, you know, this stuff I'm, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, then they go bankrupt. Right. Okay. So she says, you know, they have to postpone the foot surgery because they can't afford it. Um Arthur thinks that the whole thing is a practical joke. So, yeah, he just, he's not buying it. Okay, so Arthur, the next day, Arthur runs a test on the $100 bill, and he's like, it's real. And, like, okay, yes, it's pretty obvious. Can they live with the death of someone on their hands? So that's then the big question. Like, can can they press the button and live with themselves? Mm, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Now, if this happened to you and me, what would you, what would you do? If you came home and I was like, babe, this guy left this box and this is what he said and he's missing half his face and we could win a million dollars, but someone we don't know dies. I want to be snarky about this because I think, yeah, of course I would touch it. But at the same time, <laughs> you I, just go ahead and press I it. do think about stuff like this because, I mean, this is what it's like to be a politician or someone in power saying, OK, we're going to go to war or, you know, we're going to bomb this or we're going, you know, this idea of of saying like, OK, lives are going to be lost. And but I'm in a room. I don't see it happening. I don't know who it is. It's it's, you know, you're removed. You're detached. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's kind of what this question is about and that's why it's so uncomfortable because it's like yeah whatever people die all the time people disappear all the time people i don't know in my life i don't even know if they're still alive i mean like this idea that yeah but you're not responsible for those but you don't know how would you be but that's the thing about life too it's like you know i don't know if some like snide un- unkind remark i made in a subway in 2004 someone heard it and went home and was like hey i'm going to rethink my life choices you know that led led that person down a dark path and i'd also don't know if i've had a student for example who has had this extraordinary amazing life because of something i said back in 2015 like we don't really always know we have our friends we have our family that we keep in touch with but we don't always we're not always able to 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 be conscious of how we affect people around us. And, you know, and I see this all the time. You know, I have students, you know, uh, certainly the younger students who are just, I mean, they're saying whatever the heck they feel like saying. And sometimes they're just unaware, completely oblivious to the fact that they're hurting someone's feelings or, you know, oh, just yeah. bring, you know. So, um, so I, this is, it's one of these things where it's like, I mean, I want to go, you know, I certainly make it a goal. I want to go my whole life without ever killing anybody in my life. Yeah, I'd really like that would be I'd nice. really love to accomplish that, you know, in my in my however long I live. Um so yeah, the idea of it it kind of scares me. But at the same time, I would also be I mean, the the, the fact that he opens the box up and sees that there's nothing inside it. I mean, there's there's no way there could be any kind of receiver. Um, I think it's it's a great moment because it's like, okay, this is clearly a hoax. So yeah, p- press away. <laughs> Hit the thing five times and see how see what it looks like to be a multimillionaire. Okay. Well, she Norma presses the button. Oh, yeah. 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 She's just like, done. You know, it's like the golden buzzer and money falls. No, it doesn't. It doesn't fall from the ceiling. But that'd be cool. That'd be amazing. <laughs> This is the 70s, so it would be Bob Barker shows up, (laughs) magically materializes. I know. We're like, what? I was at a game show this whole time. Um, You just killed someone. (laughs) Here's your million dollars. You're a mass murderer and a multimillionaire. (laughs) You're a monster, monstrously rich. Oh, no. What are you gonna do next? I'm gonna kill someone else. Ding 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 ding. This is so morbid. You're the richest person in the world. Oh man. Okay. So then we go to the 911 call center, and this is where we see that a woman is dead by a gunshot, and they find a girl locked in the bathroom. Yeah. So it's. And it's like, ooh, and Richard like, Kelly, you're not going to let us have fun with this premise. Are yeah. you? You're going to punish your audience. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. oh, no, she pressed the button and then somebody was shot. Yeah. So what just happened? Yeah. Um, so then Mr. Stewart comes back with the money and 
he takes the box and he says he's going to make the offer to someone else. Someone they don't know. Yeah. And that's when they're like, uh, oh, wait, come back. We changed our minds. And he's like, too late. Yeah. You pressed the button. They're like, no, you can just take the money back. And he's like, nope. The first time I saw this, in fact, I, I pulled up my review um, uh, and I, I, wrote, I read that, uh, well, read, I wrote that Frank Langella was underplaying and I didn't like that choice. I looking at it with you the other day. I do like that because uh, I am trying to like get a read on him and he's not letting me know. He's kind of like Regis Philbin, you know, when Regis, was, <laughs> when, remember when Regis was hosting, you know, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Oh, uh, okay. Is that like... your final answer? Yeah. <laughs> do you want to phone a friend? <laughs> and I'd be like, well, should I, Regis? Uh, I don't know. You got a million dollars. Do you want to phone a friend? <laughs> I'm like, Regis, just tell him. So I feel like I'm getting that kind of vibe from Frank Langella's performance. Okay, all right. Not Regis from the Regis and Kathy Lee show. Definitely no, no. not. We got to call him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the woman who died... Gilman, they're driving me crazy! <laughs> Can you imagine? Not like, that Reaches. Like Mr. Stewart just like go. Played by Reaches Philbin. <laughs> so, are you going to touch that button? <laughs> How many people are going to kill today? <laughs> that would make me not want to push it because I'd be like, oh man, this guy is so annoying. Like, he really wants me to hit this button. He's so, so chipper about yeah, it, too. Why is he so pushy? I don't think I'm going to push the button. Yeah, I think the fact that he is so neutral makes them think exactly. that there's yeah. the stakes are low. Yeah, even though he, what he says should give you the clue, the stakes are high. <laughs> someone's gonna die. Right, but it, it is it's interesting because it, I mean it is you know it's it's no exit. It's this thing. It's about choice. It's about choice, and but also this idea of like you're. If you're going to hell, you're going to be the one who 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 doesn't who puts you there. Yeah. They're like, yeah. Mr. Stewart, no, we changed our mind. He's like, no exit, and he just peels out with his car. <laughs> That's his license plate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, his license plate is just no exit. Considering how not subtle uh, Richard Kelly's work is, I'm kind of amazed that that's uh, like you know he doesn't have like a no exit bumper sticker as he yeah. drives up. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's, then yeah. I feel like Norma would be like, hey, wait a second. I think she'd know then not to push it hmm, Yeah. if she saw that ahead of time. Yeah, because the, the way – I, I really love these sort of scenes. And, and I like that it's, const, it's just playing with, like, what would you do? And everybody's playing it at, at a very recognizable – in a very recognizable way because, for one thing, I, I think Diaz and Marsden are doing really lovely things in this movie. They're – they're they're playing it in a very real way. It's they're not giving like overly demonstrative or stylish performances, and neither is Langella. It's just like what you know what you know. They're what, real what, people. Yeah. What would you do in this scenario? And I don't know. Like having this guy in my house with part of his face missing, explaining to me how this magical box works. I mean, it reminds me of my mom would used to have like I'm not going to name the denomination, but you know, religious people would show up at our doorstep and they wanted to tell us about their religion. And my my mom would be like, "Come on in," because <laughs> my mom is the friendliest person in the world. She's kind of like Cameron Diaz in this movie. And she would sit down. And they'd have lemonade. Lemonade. And like, oh, that sounds interesting. And you know, they'd hand <laughs> us the literature. I'm like, oh my gosh. And you know, it would be like an hour. Uh-huh. You know, but uh, yeah, th- that's happened at least twice in my lifetime where my mom would, you know, invite people inside who were, you know, definitely not the denomination that we were a part of. Um, but uh, anyway, like that's kind of what this reminds me of because it's like there's 
you know, on the one hand, you want to be nice when you have a guest in your house, but it's also this weird thing of like, they're saying things that are kind of blatantly bizarre. And that's what this is. Yeah. You know, because even when he's like, here's $100 for my time, it's like, oh, that's nice, but like, weird. Yeah. 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 Weird. And, you know, and a very right, and a very correct thing. It's like, okay, like, is, is this Monopoly money? Is there a chip inside of this thing? Is it? They didn't have chips in the money in the 70s. Well, if anybody knew how to do it, I mean, it's, it's, you know, Dr. Foote over at uh, NASA. Okay. Well, okay. So the woman who died when they pressed the button, his, her husband works for NASA. Yes. So there's the connection. And so it's like, Ooh, what's going on? Claire and Norma are are kind of freaking out. Yes. Yeah. But this is the night that he gives her the foot prosthetic. And, uh, you know, again, like, I feel kind of bad about this because, again, like, this this scene, it's not mawkish, but the... I mean, I was laughing so hard when we were in the theater watching this. I'm just like... (laughs) This is the silliest thing. I just and and look like for all I know, this is something that happens. For maybe I, I you're don't know. terrible. She walks and she goes, "I'm not in pain anymore," and you're laughing. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just I've I've never seen a movie where it's like it's a plot point that she needs this prosthetic foot. Okay, well she does okay. because she can finally walk without pain. All right, well, then this is the part of the movie where it's like all of these unnecessary things because there's now a <laughs> rehearsal dinner for a wedding. Oh, this scene, yeah, yeah. I mean... Well, this is the... Because this is another moment where I was laughing really, really hard. Although, I don't, and I still was even watching it with you the other night where they're at the rehearsal dinner. James Marsden just kind of looks out and there's this old woman scowling at him. <laughs> it's the look of death and it's so funny. And it's supposed to be this eerie thing, but they found this lovely extra who just like... I was like, well, I don't like you, James Marsden. Just like, just giving him the stink eye. It's so funny. And yeah. it's meant to be like chilling. Without blinking. Yeah. 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 And and this is, they have a weird gift exchange at this rehearsal dinner. Right. And this is a little creepy, though. It's it, The thing is, it's vague. It's like a lot of things in this movie. It's like, okay, that's eerie, except it doesn't quite make sense. Like, it's, it, it's very dreamlike, so like most of Kelly's stuff. Arthur picks out a box a present that looks just like the button box and then inside is a photo of mr stewart yeah which is eerie and only and yeah. part of his face is invisible yeah so yeah. it's it's creepers but again it's like uh, this is maybe the weirdest wedding present ever yeah yeah I, I don't even know why they're handing out presents to guests i once went to a gift exchange it was one of these things where um oh what do you call it it's like you know you pass the gift around and you know more gifts go around you know, and you exchange it or you, you or trade. steal it or yeah, yeah yeah whatever that was it was with my mother and she was working at this office so it says always these weird stories with my mom and we're at this office party and i remember like one of the gifts and i was like i don't know uh 18 19 years old one of the gifts was this bloody friday the 13th t-shirt like, sweet <laughs> my mom's like you are not taking that home <laughs> And you're like, it's mine. Nobody's going to steal and it. it. Well, it, got, it wound up getting taken from me. And I think I had oh. like a, what do you call it? Like, a, like one of those things that holds up books on your shelf. I'm like, doggone. I wanted that bloody Friday the 13th shirt. I remember like driving home, mom's like. You got bookends? Yeah, I got a bookend. <laughs> and mom's like, I'm glad you didn't get that shirt. I'm like, I really wanted it. It's really like, cool. I feel like that'd be a shirt you would still have. Oh, yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I would wear that thing proudly every day. <laughs> It'd be like holes all in it. I got this at a gift exchange. Okay, so the son is home with a babysitter, and then we see someone weird outside their house. Um, this is very eerie. I like this moment a lot. Um, I don't know if this movie is successful as a horror film, but it does have these scenes that are very uncomfortable. Now, by the way, 
feels very Shyamalan. Yeah. In the, I mean, you know, it's weird because they both, they, they really both kind of came into, you know, became Shyamalan definitely, Kelly briefly, household names. But at this point, you know, it's like uh, Shyamalan had, he was two movies in. He was The Sixth Sense and uh, and Unbreakable. Nobody remembers this first movie, so I never mentioned his first film. But this was, this was Kelly's third film. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. They were both kind of like... Actually, no. At this point, they were also racing done... to see who could be like the next horror auteur. But they were both kind of burning bridges because the village really turned a lot of people off, and you know, in a lot of movies that came out after the village, uh, gosh, everything from Lady 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 in the Water was around this time, mm-hmm. and you know, and Kelly burned so many bridges with with Southland Tales, even though I'm kind of a fan of it, and I know people who are a fan of it. But yeah, it, it, some of the composition, some of the framing, some of the the pacing and the tone of it, it does. They do have very similar approaches to mm-hmm. to like you know presenting a really nightmarish sort of feel. Okay, well we find out that Norma's dad is the police chief, and Arthur is like, "Hey, can you look up a license plate number for me?" And so then right away, Mister Stewart calls Norma at the party. And, which is weird because there's no cell phones, so he just, like, has to call a landline and someone has to go get her. Oh, is that weird to you? Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. Okay, so he's like... This used to be a real thing. I know, but he says... Be like, I really want to call that girl, but oh, I don't have a quarter on me. <laughs> it's like, that was that was a real thing, Jules. And if, well, you could call collect, but then are you kind of a loser? Absolutely. <laughs> Hi, Julia. Uh, we have a collect call from uh, Barry. Do you want to talk to him? No click. Do you want to accept the charges? <laughs> like, I'm not paying for this. <laughs> well, where is he calling me from and how much is it going to be if I talk to him for 10 seconds? <laughs> call him a loser? Can you call him a loser for me, please? <laughs> Thank you, Martha. <laughs> She's like, girl power. <laughs> Hi, Barry. This is Martha. Um, the message is you are a loser. Um, <laughs> Get <thank> a you. quarter. <laughs> <laughs> click. Okay, so he's like, I know that Arthur contacted the police. And then he's like, quote, listen to your conscience. I mean, and then this is where we see that everyone involved with whatever is going on, they get these random bloody noses. (laughs) I mean, it's a little, like you said, on the nose. Oh, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the So, yeah, no, there's, there's, it's one of these things, I'm sure that, oh, this is going to be good, but. No, this movie has enough going on. Yeah, because... <laughs> like, save it for the sequel. Their car then, someone puts no exit on their windshield. <laughs> Another no exit thing. It's just, it's not eerie enough. I, it's just, it's more like, okay, we get it. Like the play it's not scary. Yeah, it's, no, it's like, it's, it's not like, happy Friday the 13th. No, it's no exit. Oh, okay. I guess I'll uh, wait for the stop sign then. <laughs> yeah. Wait for the green light. Yeah, it's... <laughs> no exit. All right, so they get home, and Arthur has to take the babysitter, mm. and she's real. Something's going on with her. Yeah, because this is the one who they're watching the sun, and they don't. Uh, she does not acknowledge that there's someone outside the house. Yeah, which is a really, I think, a really scary moment. Yeah, so then they go in the basement, and, and she's then, looking at all his NASA stuff. Yeah, yeah, and so then he's driving her home, and she's. I don't know. He's talking to her and she's like, is someone pushing your buttons? And she's like saying all these things to him. And then her nose starts bleeding and she passes out. We went in a tunnel. Didn't you want to take an exit or no exit? Yeah. 
I know. She's like, you need to go towards the light. It's like... Don't okay. tell mom the babysitter's dead. <laughs> we find out her name is really Sarah, and she's staying at this hotel with all these other people. Yeah. So th- is this the part where he goes to the hotel? Yeah, yeah. I love this. Um, this is one of these things, like, I don't know, like, it, it should... I've, I've had nightmares about this. I have. Where you're walking down a hotel... Uh, um, hallway and the doors are open there's people just like running at you or walking at you I've had nightmares about this I've had ideas about this as I got older and I've written about this sort of thing and it's in this movie and I thought oh that's cool like Kelly gets that because I've had that that kind of claustrophobic fear but I look at it and it's like I'm more impressed with the staging than I am actually afraid of it. The way totally. he does it, it's like okay, that's cool that he 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 figured out how to do this because it, it it's kind of a Kubrickian thing. It it is kind of vaguely of The Shining, but um, yeah, again, it's like oh, that's cool. He got the actors to walk towards the camera on cue. That's great. Yeah, like your choreography is on point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which which you really shouldn't be thinking when you're watching a scene that's supposed to be terrifying. Right. Yeah. So Stewart calls Norma again and says, "Your husband better not be playing detective. Oh, He's man. like following He's his the every eye move. of God. He's able to see everything. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. So her dad, the policeman." gets Stewart's license plate and says he's with the NSA. Oh. And it's like, oh, no. So then a woman finds Norma in the grocery store, and she's like, we're all NSA test subjects. And everyone involved in this is under 40, and it's couples with one child, and... Let's see. Tells her to go to the library. And she says, don't trust your husband. Don't trust anyone. And so it's like, whoa. <laughs> she just, it's like she like broke her programming to give Norma this message. Yeah. Don't you feel like that's kind of what happened? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they're all under this weird. It's very, yes, this conspiratorial like, world that they're yeah. suddenly becoming aware of. Yeah. And you know, it, it's interesting because, again, Frank Langella's character, he has like the ability to see all, to know all. Um, you know, it's like. If no exit is about hell, then this is the devil. The devil having this, you know, this godlike ability to be everywhere, see everything, be aware of everything that's happening. It's like once you touch the button, it's almost like he has a portal to us. He's able to see us and, you know. Right. Once you're morally compromised. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's an article. So I think this is where Arthur is looking at, at your favorite thing in a library. Books? No. When you go through old newspapers. <laughs> Yeah, that used to be, yeah, uh, microfish. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they used to be my favorite thing. You're absolutely right. I've got <laughs> folders and folders of microfish movie reviews and movie posters and stuff I've taken off of New York Times. I've got oh, folders this and folders of this stuff. This is the thing that like, bugs me so much about movies, though, with microfish, is that they're like going through it so fast they can't see anything and all of a sudden they stop and they're like there it is i'm like this would take you like days to go it's such crap yeah because it's it's, oh my gosh and but it's also i love that this used to be how every movie was it's like like my neighbor's a little fishy i'm gonna go to the library and they're like (laughs) that's the guy who murdered the girl 10 years ago yeah yeah it was in the newspaper yeah yeah every time unless you've got like the exact date it's impossible to find specific articles because again like i mean you could whirl past it too quickly and sometimes the stupid roller won't stop for you like it's (laughs) these things are not state of the art experienced oh man i've I've spent no i you know 
20 years ago, I spent, I would spend like hours in the library, like looking for specific movie reviews or, you know, or, or whatever. But yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I love it. I love how hands-on it was. It's just, it's just one of these things that people don't really even like anymore. It's like threading a projector, you know, like I, yeah. I think it's the coolest thing, but people are like, oh, you can just watch it on YouTube, dude. Just Google it. Why don't you just Google it? Bro, bro. No one goes to the library anymore, bro. Bro. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so this is where we find out that there was a NASA employee struck by lightning. And that's how Mr. Stewart <laughs> lost the freaking side of his face. <laughs> struck by lightning. No, I mean, it should have been like an industrial accident or like, you know. Well, um, he di- I mean, he basically died. Right. But what I'm saying is, like, I think it would have been a little easier. It would have been easier pill to swallow if it was something like what happened to Cameron Diaz's character. As opposed to, like... A negligent nurse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as opposed to, just like Frankenstein's monster, he was struck by lightning. (laughs) And then we see that um, Stewart's wife... Okay, so then this is another scene where... Arthur's walking through the library and then like everyone's yes. coming and like chasing him. It's like, oh man. And it was like not, it was a little bit scarier than the hotel, but barely. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I'm okay with it. I, I don't think it's a deal breaker, but it, this this movie should have been a lot scarier or it at least should have committed. <laughs> like it, it's, it colors outside the lines a little too much, you know? It's like, okay, science fiction or horror or moral dilemma but in trying to juggle all those things, it's it, it's one of these things where like some stuff just gets left behind, mm-hmm. you know. Like even like the nosebleeds, like that could have been a really eerie visual. I've seen movie. I mean, like uh, there was a stupid slasher movie with um, Catherine Heigl called Valentine. Do you remember that one? Vaguely. David, David Boreanaz. Who else is in that? Uh, Denise Richards. And the, the thing is, like you you do, you only know that the killer wears a mask and and he has a nosebleed whenever he's about to kill somebody. Right. And so the whole movie, like, who's gonna have the nosebleed? And it's really creepy. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, the the villain, you know, it's like holding the girl, and you think he's the good guy, and you see his nose is bleeding, and it's like, oh, that's really chilling. And that's how the movie ends. Anyway, not the case here. It's like, okay, these guys are just well, getting it's like these. Everybody has them. Yeah. It's just like a crowd of people with bloody noses. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But it's like it's the 70s. Like they're all doing cocaine. That's why. <laughs> Too much cocaine. Okay, so Arthur ends up in this big room with, and everyone's in like tables. It's, it's kind of a weird like. <laughs> I dig. I think it's cool. I think it's visually cool. They're all yeah. looking at him. Like they all turn at the same time. Right. And he ends up at the front with, and Stewart's wife like leads him into this other room. Do you think this is what it's like to be Richard Kelly when he like walks on stage? Like, ladies and gentlemen, the director of Donnie Darko is like, oh, they're all staring at me. No. Maybe he's I, like, I've been I, there. Like, this is what it was like for him to be at the Cannes Film Festival after they showed Southland Tales for the first time. It's like, they all want to kill me. Oh. Oh, like he's acting out, like, his own fears. Yeah, his own fear of, like, a, a mass of people who just, like, want to strangle you for mm. for making you watch Southland Tales for two and a half hours. <laughs> I mean, that would be me. I <laughs> like, wanna... Oh, yeah, I'm there. Yeah, I would be in that crowd. Um, so Stewart's wife says, he's testing you. He's testing all of us. And then there's like these three portals of like cool. water. Yeah. That, yeah. All right. Now we go back to Norma. She's being led through the library. She meets Stuart, um, learns that he was struck by lightning, and he's now in communication with those who control the lightning. Yeah. So, all right. Arthur cho- has to choose a portal. And he ends up choosing number two because another character had like kind of flashed a peace sign. And I'm like, why would he trust 
Right. That creepy guy. It's the yeah. creepy student. Right. Who was also in the catering. And why would he be like, yeah, he was giving me a sign. I should pick number two. Right. I don't know. And mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't even know if it worked out for him. Because I don't, I don't understand what it means. But Norma... This is where she tells him that she didn't, she was not grossed out by him. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a really, I think this was my favorite scene in the movie because mm-hmm. I feel like she was, he was going to like give her some sort of redemption or something. Yeah. If I don't even know if he even has that ability as this character. Yeah. But she's like, no, I didn't, I wasn't grossed out by you. Like I had so much compassion for you because I have this injury and yet. Nobody sees it really, and here you walking around with it on your face, yeah. and yeah, I just my heart went out to you, and I just I felt love for you, and he'd never heard that before, mm. so I kind of was like, even though I'd seen this movie before, I forgot. I thought he was gonna give her a chance. So this is I, I like this a lot, just like you. Um, I, I think if this really is Richard Kelly's mother, what a beautiful tribute. Yeah. Um, despite how she ends up at the end. <laughs> Beyond that, yeah, it's it's a lovely tribute. Thanks for the movie, dear, but... <laughs> I really wish you hadn't uh, murdered me so viciously <laughs> in the last five minutes. I know. Exactly. Yeah, so did you get that sense that he was going to give her some kind of out? Yeah, and that's one of the things I like about this movie, because even though it, it, did, it is all over the place, especially in the second act... Um, I do like this couple, and I, I do feel for them. If I if the actors weren't giving it, but I mean, I, I really love what Diaz and Marston are doing here. I do. I'm, I'm rooting for them. I'm worried for them. I'm afraid for them. And the film just keeps upping the stakes. And again, some of it just like, it's it's kind of like, okay, they, some of it... Some of it is it's world building that's effective, and some of it's just like okay, this, this is stuff that really should have been cut. But yeah, the, the emotional center of the movie for me, it, it it's intact. Yeah. Even though there's a lot of stuff that that distracts us from it. I'm surprised like Stewart didn't listen to her like sob story and just be like, no exit, and then just like <laughs> struck her by with lightning. Ah. Uh. You know. But this is the kind of movie where that could happen because I, there's a I lot know. of random stuff in this. I know. So she grabs his hand, faints, wakes up in bed at her house, and when she looks up, there's her husband over her in the water portal. I love this so much. This is so cool. I it's love this so visual. Weird. I love it. Yeah, and then you know, and then the water gushes down, and Marjan's like, "Whoa!" <laughs> I love it. I mean, again, like. Richard Kelly just like writing stuff like let's just see if this works and and this I think is striking I've never I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this outside of like poltergeist you know and then their son's like where did all this water come from and they're like "Mm." you two are weird yeah (laughs) they're like oh we did you break another waterbed yeah I know they're like we we can't tell you anything yeah I hate mom and dad they're so weird. So I guess there is an explanation of Stuart getting struck by lightning. There's all these explanations. And it just keeps going. Um, Then they they go to the wedding. I mean, it's just like, (laughs) oh my gosh, like we need more scenes of that. We really don't. Because nothing, I don't know. I don't know that we need a lot of scenes outside the house. I love the library sequence, but there's, I think, a good 15 minutes of this movie that could have been excised. Yeah, because of the other NASA guy whose wife 
right. was killed, right? Yeah. We don't really know what happened yet. But he shows up at the wedding and he tell he tells Arthur, like, there's many boxes, you know, and the only way to win is not to press the button. Hmm. Um, so, well, I don't think he says that, but that's what we find out. So the man who murdered his wife, yeah, takes Arthur. Walter, the son, is kidnapped. And then... This is what the guy, the other guy says. He had to make a choice between his wife and his daughter. Right. And so now Arthur is scared. The movie would have been smarter to suggest that there's an upside to this. Like, what about what about the guy who was on death row and he was a child murderer and a serial killer and they're about to, you know, uh, about to electrocute him, but then there was a power outage. And then suddenly... Uh, the electricity kicked in and it killed him anyway because they touched the box. So what about, yeah, is there like any upside to this? Like there was this evil dictator who had a heart attack right before he decided to to liquidate this town. Like isn't there some, you know, a way to like, you know, morally flip this idea as opposed to being like, well, you know, if you touch the box, you are doomed. Is that the only way we could look at this? Because, I mean, can't someone touch the box and someone who okay, deserve to die, dies, and you become a millionaire. Why does it always have to be sort? Why does it always have to be no exit? I don't know. That's the way it is. Because, okay, because there would be, okay, if Mr. Stewart went to this couple and he's like, all right, you press the button, you get a million dollars, and then someone who's terrible dies, there would be no, okay, you would press it, you'd press it right away. But the fact that you don't know who it is, it could be a good person, a bad person. But that's the point. It doesn't matter because it does though. It does though because because that's I mean that's the part of it, right? That's the mystery of it. You you touch it, you don't know who dies. But I mean, was there ever a situation where Mr. Stewart gives someone like you touch it? Oh, congratulations! You killed the Zodiac killer. Here's a million (laughs) dollars. Okay, but. Okay, but like if someone gave you a, a a loaded gun and they were like, "All right, if you pull the trigger and there's somebody behind the wall and mm-hmm. you're like are you willing to like literally kill somebody and you don't know who they are?" But that's not like, what this premise yeah, is. Though. I know, but that's what it's doing because just because because a trigger is pulled not by you, yeah. even but you press the button that made someone else pull it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. No, I'm playing with this idea in my head. I am. But at the same time, I'm trying to look at it from the ways that are not so obvious. Because I feel like Kelly, in a lot of ways, is going strictly with the gloom and doom morality of it. When, in fact, I think there are some gray areas to consider. Okay. I mean, if it was like, hey, you press the button and an evil dictator is going to die. I mean, okay, everyone's going to press the button. It's like, what if they destroy the box? Then what happens? Oh, yeah. I don't know. What if they break the box? Well, then maybe he, they would surprise What Mr. if they Stewart? resuscitate the person who is killed from the box? Like, hey, you're alive. And Mrs. Stewart's like, oh, okay, uh, I'm back. You got to touch the box again. <laughs> I don't know. But let's keep going because there, we're, we're almost to the end. So, all right. So Walter's kidnapped and Mr. Stewart comes back to Arthur and Norma and he says... Your son can't see or hear. And you have two choices. You can either live with your son like this, and he'll never see you or hear you. Um, but that and the million dollars 
you can use that to take care of him. Or Arthur can kill Norma and the son will get his seeing and his hearing back. This is the part of the movie I remember the most because they have, uh, to the movies, to its shame, but also the audacity of the film, they show their son alone in a room with a locked door. He can't see anything, he can't hear anything, and he's freaking out. And I thought, wow, this is one of the most cruel things I've ever seen in a mainstream American movie in my life. The sun in the bathtub. Yes. Like, like it's one yeah. thing to like play the horror of like on the other side of the door, your son has never been more alone. He's afraid and, you know, he's had two of his senses. You know, that's one thing. But the movie puts us on the floor with, with the boy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and this is not an unlikable kid. <laughs> he's a very likable child. Um, and it's just like, man, this is really mean. Mm-hmm. This is like nasty stuff. Um I couldn't, I, you know, I was really kind of amazed how far uh, Kelly took this. And, of course, and then what happens as a result. Yeah, so he's, so they can't get to him. I mean, the door's locked from the inside, and he can't hear them or see them. And so they basically are, like, talking, what what are they going to do? And, and as a mom, Norma's like, I can't live with him like this. Like, I can't, if I, I mean... She's like, I'll, I'll, but yeah, kill me, sacrifice me. But on the other hand, on the other hand, it's like you've had to deal with a disfigurement in your entire life, and the only answer, the only solution to this is murder. I mean, maybe, you know, because husband works for NASA, maybe we can find a way to restore his sight and his hearing. It's like, I don't know. Like, murder is the only, you know, again, like, I know we're playing with the movie's game here, Mm -hmm. but it's like, okay, Regis, can we phone a friend here? (laughs) Can we eliminate two of the options? Oh, God, it's just murder and... (laughs) Living with it? It's murder or, yeah, living with with losing two of your senses. Again, like, I I understand the game that the movie is playing, and I understand what what Kelly is doing. Because, I mean, he's taking it so much further than Richard Matheson's premise did. And he's, you know, he's really, like, he's dialing down on on the meanness of this premise, how cruel it is. Um, You know, and what you as a parent would do. Would you sacrifice yourself or have your kid live this way? And I'm saying, like... Let's just talk about this for a second because so, you know, so if it was us, you wouldn't be like, yes, I'm gonna shoot you. I'm no, I, I think I would honestly say, okay, let's talk about this, okay? Like, <laughs> you know, um, there are ways, right? There are schools. There's there's ways to to redevelop your your senses. I mean, again, I'm not saying it would be easy, and of course, it would be harrowing. But like, the only solution is to shoot you. No, I would not do it. Yeah. No, you would shoot me, wouldn't you? You totally would. No, because... It's between, like, our, our no, child no, no, because losing her senses or, like, shoot, like... <laughs> if I shoot him seven times, can I like, also get seven million dollars? <laughs> that would really help with the therapy bills. No, no. Arthur said because Norma pressed the button, she's the one who has to die. Okay. Yeah. And then we see... Which one of us would hit the button first? What do you think? It'd be you, wouldn't it? I don't... Well, okay, in the movie, you it's think, like, always mis- the wives. Do you think like, a mosquito would land on and you'd be like, ching, ching. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have done that. But you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Do you think this movie is misogynist? I mean, a little bit because yeah. it's always the women who press the button. There's three different women. So okay. We, yeah, so yeah. So we yeah. see, you know, the one, you know, who gets shot because Norma hits the button. Yeah. And then we see the woman who hits the button as Norma is getting shot. 
And it's like always the husbands that are like, uh, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, like they have the bo- box in front of them. Right. And in between them and, and the women are just like, eh, done. I'm just going to hit it. What was the name of that game that was really popular? Wasn't it called Boggle? Where like you touch the you touch the orb and like the dice on the inside jumps. It's all these yeah. I think maybe like they just thought they were playing ball. They're like oh man, <laughs> I touched that thing that weird guy without half a face gave us the other day. Really wish I hadn't done that. I think I just killed somebody. <laughs> oh on the upside. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm just thinking like, all right, so he kills her. The son regains his senses. He doesn't know what the heck is going on. And his dad is like taken away back to NASA or something to be one of Stewart's minions. Yeah, wife is dead. Dad's in prison. Yeah, but at least the kid can hear and see. Yeah, like he, so now he's going to grow up with no parents and family. So I feel like this is traumatic for this kid, regardless of what happens. He's kind of screwed no matter what. And the movie ends with Mr. Stewart with a reset box about to go to another house. Yeah. And that's how the film concludes. Yeah. And this film, when it came out, it was very famous for getting an F audience score, which is a very rare thing. By the way, it's in good company because Punch Drunk Love got an F and Steven Soderbergh's Solaris, two movies I love that came out the same year. They both got F audience scores. And to be clear, listeners, like it's... You know, am I saying the movie, it's not even about if a movie deserves an F or an A score, but what happens is however a movie makes you feel in the last 10 minutes determines the kind of score you give it. We know this. Pulp Fiction got an F score. Seven got an F score because uh. test, yeah, because people saw those endings like, we hate this movie. But the thing is, you know, you can't judge a movie based on how it makes you feel in the moment. It's about how it is overall. Um, but this film got an F score and of course it did because the way it ends is so nasty and cruel. And, um, you think it went too far? No, I, I, again, I admire the film. I do because I would not have made these choices at the writing level, but let me, let me quick, very quick anecdote. And I promise it has an amusing punchline. And I, at least I think it does. And this sums up how I feel about the movie. So anybody who's known me for a while, any of my old buddies listening to this will remember that when I was uh, a, a theater major in college, my thesis, my, my, my pride and joy, my magnum opus was I wrote, directed, and starred in an adaptation of The Monkey's Paw. Mm-hmm. Monkey's Paw is based on the W.W. W. Jacobs story. A couple gets this monkey's paw. They make a wish on it. They wish for all this money, and they get it in the form of insurance because their child dies. So it's like whenever you make a wish on The Monkey's Paw, your wish will come true, but there's with, with dark circumstances. It's based on this story that I love, so I made an adaptation of it. I made it. I modernized it. And um, yeah, it was set in the late 20th century, and um, it was a very elaborate stage production. Very proud of this show. I loved it. But here's the thing. So um, the story is very simple. Very, very simple. It's like, you know, there's three wishes, and every time a wish is made, something terrible happens. <laughs> terrible. And it ends in a very ambiguous, quiet way. A lot like Button Button. I'm sure Button Button, I suspect Matheson was familiar with Monkey's Paw. So anyway, I wrote my first draft of the play. And it was, you know, it was like the play was going to happen in November. This was like, 
in August or September, I think it was August, and I had my first cast reading. I had the whole cast sitting around, we're sitting in a circle in our in our little theater room, and I've got the first draft of the script. And you know, not only do I want to hear everybody read the lines, but I'm also going to like make notes about what to cut, and what to keep. So it's like this really exciting moment. I've spent months writing this script, and I'm like, this is such an important thing. So we're sitting down, and my friend Amanda, who at that point was playing my wife. Um, you know, I'm playing the husband, you know, of course, of course, I'm just going to star in my own play, of course, it's my <laughs> ego. So, so we're reading this thing and, um, we get to the, uh, to the second act of the play and we're getting to the very end of it. And Amanda playing my wife and I'm playing the husband, she has this long monologue where she explains the origin of the monkey's paw. And this is something I concocted and it's like a paragraph. And as she's reading it, she can't stop laughing <laughs> and it was stupid. I was writing about, you know, how the monkey, yeah, I was talking about the monkey whose paw was taken. <laughs> I mean, like, and, you know, and it was not meant to be funny. And she's reading this monologue. And I remember, like, I got my pen out. And I'm circling, like, cut this. This has to go. Um, and it did not survive that reading. <laughs> but anyway, this, I mean, that's what the, the box is. It's like all that stuff is here. Um, it's a little too much, but I, I kind of love that that Richard Kelly is like, I love this story. I love the possibilities here. I'm going to make it personal. I'm going to set it in the seventies and I'm going to have, you know, these two very photogenic, sexy actors play relatable and really likable, normal, average people who are parents and they're working class. Um, I love what Langella does. This movie is flawed and at times it's goofy and I don't know that it earns how cruel the ending is, but I like the film. I, I gave it two and a half stars, you know, which is kind of like a middle ground first time I saw it. Looking at it now, for me, it's a three star movie. Mm-hmm. It's flawed and imperfect. It's nowhere near as good as Donnie Darko, but I think it's a little bit better than Southland Tales. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I like, even though that movie, I'll say quickly, in case anyone's curious how I feel about that movie, really quickly I'll say, I think the first 90 minutes of Southland Tales are embarrassing. <laughs> really bad. Really, really bad. And then there's the Justin Timberlake musical number, which is the most famous scene in the movie, which I think is fantastic. And then the last 40 minutes of that movie, which take place on the Zeppelin, I love it. I think that movie finds itself way too late like the, I mean, it's almost three hours, and the last 40 minutes of that film, I think, are pretty hypnotic. I just love it so much. So if you just have to get through two hours and 20 minutes, and then it's awesome. Well, I mean, you've you got to sit through, like, 90 minutes of scenes that don't work, performances that don't connect, dialogue that doesn't... You know, just a lot of stuff that just, it just doesn't have the impact that I think Kelly thought it did. But yeah, the third act of that movie, I think, really delivers. I just, I love that movie, but, like... The film is great in the back end, and that's just, yeah. it's unfortunate that it takes that long to like really start cooking. But Donnie Darko, I think, is perfect. I think it's a masterpiece. I love it. Okay, well, back to the box. The box. Um, so Mr. Stewart does say that this couple was kind of the first one that gave him hope hmm. that maybe this cycle would stop. And so, I don't know, maybe just stop giving people these boxes. And then maybe the cycle would stop. Well, is How this, about that? Do you think it's an apocalyptic scenario? I mean, is he just, like, it's established that he's not the person he was. He's an extraterrestrial, right? Yeah, basically. So basically, I mean, is this how the aliens get rid of us? They just show up at our doors and give us boxes, and we eventually just kill each other off? Yeah. They offer us riches in exchange to, you know, annihilate each other. And we're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. It's pretty. It is pretty dark. Yeah. No. It's very. Yeah. It's very like. You know, again, like there's there's no sunshine to this. It's not like, hey, you pushed the box on the guy who was going to assassinate Nixon. He's dead now. <laughs> so congratulations. No, like, you know, like, hey, like there's, there might have been that war that was going to happen, but you hit the box and that evil dictator is gone and suddenly this country has been freed. Uh, no, none of that. It's <laughs> you like, just stopped the Vietnam War. <laughs> you know, and I, and I certainly wouldn't put it past Kelly to create some kind of alternate history like that. You know, yeah. something, you know, because the guy is audacious. That's why I like his stuff. Like, this guy is shooting for the moon okay, every time. But I don't think he's going to make a story where a selfish decision is going to turn out great for people. But the thing that throws me off is that I like this couple so much. This I know. isn't like a slasher movie where I'm like, well, these guys deserve to die, and no, they do. That's because they're relatable. So yeah. that just shows that any of us could be them hmm. in life. But let's face it, there are a lot of awful people there are a lot of awful people. Who, you know, when they, they get the box, they'd be like, okay, so if I touch it 20 times and I say the name of the person okay. I want to kill, can, can no? doesn't work that way? No, but okay. I think they're all like NASA employees. So he's got like a pretty small pool of people <laughs> that he's... Yeah, what if... Ooh, well, hey, are all the zombie people with the nosebleeds, did they already fail the box experiment? Interesting. Do you think it would have gone differently if he had like kind of hit up all the people who work at Nabisco? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like everybody's going to press the button and then more people die. But then if all what of What if those... your doggy accidentally hits it, hits it with his paw? <laughs> then like... He's like, where's my treat? That schnauzer down the street just died all of a sudden. He's like, I thought it was a treat dispenser. <laughs> you hit it like 17 times. <laughs> That's why there's like a pound full of all these dead animals. Oh. So is, does James Marsden character become one of those zombie people at the library? Yeah, I guess he's one of the irredeemables. Yeah, I'm so is that hell? Yeah. Well, I think being in jail, knowing that you're never going to see your son again. No, I don't think he goes to jail because... You don't the, think he goes to jail? No, I think like the NSA people like take him into custody. Like oh, now, I think they're humoring him. There's no way. Really? Like, yeah, and you know what else? You know what else is going to happen? We're also going to give you a patent on your little foot that you made too. So don't worry, buddy. <laughs> you're going to be A-okay. Oh Put him in the rubber room. It's going to be okay, pal. <laughs> You'll no, never see outside no. again. I think the aliens like take them over subcon like they take over their consciousness. Oh, just like they did with uh, Frank Langella's character. Yeah, mm, yeah. Interesting. So it's like if there's a hierarchy, like the devil is over is inside Langella, and then all the little minions are controlling all the other people. It's kind of like Richard Kelly was like, okay, I got an idea for three seasons of a sci-fi show, but all I have is $30 million in two hours. So <laughs> I'm just going to do it all right now. It's all going to be there. Okay. Well, what would your alternate well, hold be? Hold on. Like three stars for me. What, what would you oh. give it? Um, I think two and a half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Alternate ending. Just there's too many scenes that I don't care about, like all at the wedding, all that yeah. stuff. Like I, I don't care. You don't like the the lady giving, giving Marsden the stink no, eye. No, I mean oh, there's man. just too many things that it's like, come on, like move it along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, it's it's, it's funny because like because and it's not. It, it could have been scarier. 
Yes, you vaguely remember seeing this movie in the theater with me. The thing about this movie that has never left me was the ending. I just remember being really haunted by that. Yeah. And I remember okay, like so watching we... Charlie, uh, not Charlie, uh, Cameron Diaz in like a Charlie's Angels sequel. Like, oh, she she dies so horribly in the box. <laughs> what was it? What was your question? Like, what would your alternate ending be then? Oh, jeez. Um, oh, yeah, sure. Um, I would want Marsden to touch the box and Frank, Lang- oh, and Frank Langella dies bu- instantly. Oh. Yeah, I would want that because you know I hate that character. Okay, I hate. He that has too he's much power. T- I hate his guts. I would love for him to just vanish or just like have a heart attack right there and die. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Mm-hmm. Why not weaponize the box in a way that you know? Why would, would the be aliens helpful? do that though? Well, if he's like you know, okay, so someone I don't know, but someone who's missing half a face. Wait a minute, click click. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I would be very satisfied with that. No, I mean, I think it'd be interesting to to find a way to weaponize it, or I don't know, just like figure out a way so that it's not a plot device, but an actual, you know, an actual weapon that has human use, as opposed to this, you know, it's it's strictly this intellectual, uh, uh, you know, this intellectual Trojan horse for these aliens. Okay. Well, the other thing, let's say. Let's say he gives the box to that other couple, right? So we have the scene of Arthur and Norma juxtaposed with the other couple, like, talking about the box, right? Well, if they decide not to hit the button and he still kills her, kills Norma... Mm-hmm. Does it mean she suddenly comes back to life? We have a pulse! Yeah, I mean, what if that other couple had decided not to hit the button? This well, this whole thing is, like presupposes that everybody's gonna like right. hit the button. Yeah, it's definitely not a very uh, as you said, it's not a it's not a very flattering depiction of women, let alone humankind. The yeah. one thing I was kind of hoping that we'd see, and I was really hoping it the last time we watched it, and I'm like, oh, that's right, it doesn't really end this way. Was the couple gets the box? And I was really hoping that Doofy's student, the one who like humiliated yeah. Cameron Diaz, would be in that house. Which house? The house of the new couple who gets the box. Oh. So it's like, oh yeah, this is this kid. Oh is good, gonna... he's gonna be blind and deaf. <laughs> you wanted him to suffer. I don't know, blind <laughs> like and deaf. I, I I would want him to. I don't know, like you know, I would want him to have like a final destination death. You know, like whatever, oh. like a snowplow lands on his head, or like whatever the heck could happen in those movies. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. Final destination despicable. is scarier than this movie. Really? I think oh, so. Oh, no. I, I, nothing about that movie makes me afraid. Oh, okay. Especially when it's like, oh, this sink is overflowing. What's going to happen? Don't put your hand on the garbage disposal. <laughs> well, that's a scary period. Don't drive behind loggers. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you know, this is this is the last movie that Kelly's made at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was Donnie Darko, the the huge high of that, and then everybody was let down by Southland Tales. It has a cult following now. This one, no one talks about, which is one of the reasons I wanted because so I... I'm really glad we talked about it, because <laughs> no one's going to listen to this. You know who's listening to this right now? Richard Kelly. <laughs> Richard, this one's for you. Yeah, I like this film. I, I don't know that it's perfect, but I think it's designed to, to get you talking once it's over. And I think, I, I like movies that do that. Yeah. I don't know that it earns all the things that it, it tries to do, but, uh, you know, this movie has stayed with me. I think, you know, it's haunting. It is. Yeah, it is. Okay, well, I think that does it. That concludes our discussion of The Box.